All right. Welcome back to the Hunt and Harvest Health podcast, everybody. Brian and I are here, host Western Hunting Summit. We are. Yes. And we have a few podcasts that we actually did do at the summits. Um, we are, so today's podcast is going to be our friend, Brett um, Benton. And maybe Ryan, you can tell the story of how you met him. Well, it's going to be with Brett as well as oh. Dr. Corey Tinglestad. It's kind of a unique combo for a podcast. Well, I think when people I, listen to it, I, I can explain. I was a actually out shooting story. my bow. I was walking back and I saw you were doing a podcast at the summit. I was like, oh, Brett's doing one and Dr. Corey. That's a unique, unique couple of cats right there. So, no, I'm, I haven't even heard it. I'm interested to hear it too. <laughs> That's how it is when you have your own podcast. You never actually listen to your own podcast, but I have to listen to them because I am the one who's editing usually. So yeah, uh, Ryan never listens to our podcast. I don't think he wouldn't know. I listen to it when you do it. If I do it, I set the nails on the chalkboard so I avoid it. But anyways, uh, so how this podcast came to be was we had Brett Benton as a attendee and as a performer at the first Western Hunting Archery Summit this year. Yep. And he is originally from Alabama. Alabama. And he learned at a very young age how to play slide guitar and to play um it's like Southern Rock that he does. He has a name for it and it's in a podcast. Uh and I'm really bad at remembering these things, but what's it called it's um, unique and it's good well it's 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 slide guitar and it's very um this type of music is local to that alabama southern appalachian like that area so it feels very bluesy uh with some rock with some soul i mean it's got everything and he's a he's an amazing not just performer but like amazing guitar player he's great man he's got a really good voice he's such a nice guy too i'm so glad he uh we somehow managed to get him out to this event uh the timing was pretty cool he was actually when we first started chatting he was coming back from a stint in alaska doing some commercial fishing up there and, you know, he, he does his music all over the place, and uh, he was living in Washington State, and he just actually recently moved over here to Montana. He's just outside of Missoula there. Um, found a, a good job working with a, a good company there, but um, we got to talking over uh, social media, actually, and um, he was interested in the summit. I was interested in looking to find a uh, unique like really good performer and so we uh, hopped on the phone and chatted it up and you know he's one of those guys like uh, I don't know how like you wouldn't get along or anybody would, wouldn't get along with with Brett he's just just an awesome cat so really cool guy he came out spent the four days with us he's done quite a bit of hunting in his past he's chased bears over in my old state of Washington um you know, and so he brought his bow over and uh, did the courses, did the hikes and all the things. And he performed for us um, that one night and it was great. Yeah. And then he was just in conversation telling me that he runs a non-for-profit in Florida with some partners of his, some friends. And um, 
it's directed at men's mental health. And I was like, oh, really? Because just the night before, I had had a conversation with Dr. Corey, who is an ER doctor and working in the ER. Um, he's our backcountry medical guy. And just kind of his frustration with the current state of medicine and where he sees a lot of men ending up uh, in the emergency room with mental health disorders. Uh, and really, they don't always have a lot of services. It's, it's a sad situation for a lot of men uh, when they end up in his, his, um, in his ER. And so we had had this conversation about how important men's health is and how a lot of men are lost and, um, and the whole family unit and just things that you know happen to men in general, traumas and et cetera. And Dr. Corey just feels really passionate that he wants to help more men um, to find their place in the world. And so we had had this long conversation the night before about offering um, more of this to men in our community. And then the next day, Brett told me that he had this not-for-profit for men's mental health. And then I was like, I think Dr. Corey needs to be on this podcast with us. So we had a really interesting conversation about all the woes of the world. And uh, there is some sensitive content in this podcast. I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing like children can't listen to, but Brett does talk about his friend who committed suicide. So if you're sensitive to that, if you, um, you know, I'd just like to bring up that that will be talked about some in here and, you know, kind of what the purpose is of um, Brett's work that he's doing with mental health. So uh, yeah, it's a great podcast and he's very kind, very gracious, um, very down to earth, wonderful to talk with. And I just really enjoyed his company. And I know everybody that was at the Archery Summit loved his performance. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I actually, uh, it sounds as if he, uh, he's really itching to come back next year to an event and he's gonna come to our bear event, first one that we throw okay. next year. So looks as if we're gonna be getting Brett back to perform and hang out with us for mm -hmm. another fun-filled summit. Yes, so if anybody wants to possibly get on the list for the Western Hunting Summit for 2024, we're gonna have three summits next year. And you can pay a deposit if you go to the westernhuntingsummit.com currently. Um, you can hold your spot for a small deposit. And then we will be um, launching, you know, to everybody um, August. August. Yep. So um, it's already about yeah, a we, third sold we out kinda, with a giveaway we just did. We just kind of opened it up. We didn't really do a launch. We didn't talk about it no. much. We just gave folks the opportunity to grab a pass so that um especially for guys that had just been to one mm -hmm. you know we would just wrap these events up and there was a lot of guys like hey i want to get back on there um save a spot for me and so we just opened it up so they could grab their spot and man i can't believe how many people are coming back <laughs> <laughs> yeah we went through the list today it's pretty impressive yeah. so if you want that you can go to westernhuntingsummit.com pick your summit put your deposit down and then we'll be getting in touch with you come august um to move forward with that Yep. All right. Any other partner things that we want to talk about right now? Of course, you can go to the show notes. All of our partners are there, people that support us, people that help make this podcast possible. We um, 
we probably could do this without them, but we really don't want to do this without them. A lot of them are our friends. Yep. A lot of them are people that we want to support their small businesses. And um, if you're going to spend your hunting dollar or your healthcare dollar or anything like that, please go to that partners page to see that. We also have it at our website, stealthyhunter.com partners page. You can see everything there. I mean, Stone Glacier even made a page for Ryan for the clothes that he wears because, you know, you you want to dress like Ryan does no. every Those single day. Those guys are cool. I really, I really <laughs> enjoy going down there and hanging with the guys. Well, Stone Glacier is great. They're awesome. They yeah. really helped support us over the years for everything in the Western Hunting Summit. It's like everything. So, yeah. But uh, yeah, check those partners pages out. Um, any announcements coming up? Hunting season is coming. So what that means Quickly. is who knows what's going to happen, but that means Ryan's going to be gone a lot and I will do my best to get podcasts out in a timely manner. June, um, I don't want to make ex more excuses than I've ever made in the past, but June is just pretty much a slam dunk. We have no time a month for us, so we are busy, busy, busy. Um, but we will get back on schedule. And uh, Ryan, you're even going to do some hunting podcasts, I think, right? Apparently, I am. <laughs> oh, that was a good response. Blackmailing me. Oh, yeah. You know. Yep. I got to get a few knocked out um we're getting ready to take off here in a few weeks on a hunt so um yeah, yeah me and paley yep heading off to the great state of alaska and we're gonna um go get her into um some new country out of her element and see how we how we do it's gonna be a ton of fun yeah. Yeah. cool all right well i hope everybody enjoys this podcast um i put uh, Brett's information as well as Dr. Corey's information in the show notes. If you want to contact them, if you want Brent for maybe one of your one of your parties, one of your events to have him come sing, um, very very unique and a very kind guy, as we said. So check those guys out, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Enjoy. Okay, welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast, everybody. This is Dr. Hillary. And today we are coming live from the Western Hunting Summit, which I don't even know if I've ever recorded a podcast at my own hunting summit in the last five years. Usually Gritty records all the podcasts and then he gets all the content. And then I listen to Gritty's podcasts and go, why the heck didn't I get any podcasts? This is my event, right? Very Lots of ego going on there. This is my event. No, it's our event. It's everybody's event. But um, so... I just wanted to do, I think this will probably be short. You guys are mm -hmm. getting ready to go out on the course and go camp on the mountain and all that. So, uh, but again, time is usually not my friend at these things. And so that's why we got to grab it. If you hear wind folks, that's just how it goes. We're out in the prairie and there's wind. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to introduce, I've got two guests. One is brand new, uh, Brett Benson. He is a an amazing musician he did a set last night for entertainment for the guys and i really don't even know how to describe he's like slide guitar blues country like mountain uh almost like scottish what, what do we call it? appalachian music like it's yeah. it seems like it's all wrapped up into one right so the the technical term is called hill country blues oh. um and well first of all thank you for having me on yeah but uh the technical term is called hill country blues it comes from northern mississippi 
Mm-hmm. Um, so you do starting to get kind of at like the base of the Appalachians there, like northern Georgia, northern Mississippi, like Tennessee's, even northern Alabama is all the start of the Appalachians, right? Mm-hmm. Like the very start of them. And so, you know, it's music from old sharecroppers and farmers and a lot of those folks, you know, there, they hunted and fished their whole lives too, you know, and they got all kinds of acreage running in the swamps and stuff like that, so. Yeah, so does, it, it feels like very, um, it feels like it's a mesh of different cultural music mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, you think of like the blues or you think of like these being more like African-American kind of music. Right. But then when you think of like Appalachian hill right. music, you think of like poor white people, right. like Scottish background, right. Irish background, that kind of fi- old fiddle music, guitar music. And then it seems right. like it's blended. So it almost seems like a class issue, like poor man's yeah. country blues yeah. stuff. Hey. It is, you know, uh, a lot of those folks, like I was explaining last night, like, you know, a lot of them couldn't afford radios or a lot of them couldn't afford to hire a whole band for their house shows, you know, because they all threw these house parties, right? right? It's kind of sort of where this particular style of music came from. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the folks couldn't afford transportation to go see other people perform. Right. So, uh, you know, you definitely have, um, you know, people who come from a, like a, a lower class background, for lack of better words. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, like I said, you know, a lot of poor farmers and and sharecroppers and stuff like that, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> just wanted to have a good time, <laughs> basically. So that's kind of how this music came about. It's very rhythmic, you know, Um Lots of slide guitar. Lots of slide. And it's very soulful. Like, you can tell, like, the music is, sounds just like you work hard all day. Mm -hmm. And then you have a few drinks. And then you got (laughs) lots of issues with your girlfriend and your wife and your money and whatever. But it's very soulful. And it's kind of that, it's that feeling of, you know, a a working man's music for sure. Right. That's exactly it. So tell me how you got into this. Well, I was born in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. It's kind of like South Central Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up in Alabama, Southern Alabama, Northern Florida, my whole life. Uh, you know, so right next to Mississippi. My whole family, you know, listen to that kind of music. Um, my parents introduced me to it at a very young age. I was probably five or six years old, and um, it just kind of spoke to me you know kind of in the same way that montana speaks to me as a place Mm. right so you know grew up started playing drums played for a couple years started playing bass was not good at it (laughs) and so i switched to guitar and started playing it and just just stuck with it was very fortunate to you know be living right next to mississippi where i could go and and learn that kind of music from the families of the folks who pioneered it, mm. right? So I learned from, you know, like the Burnside family and the Kimbros and uh, folks who came later, like Reverend Peyton is a friend of mine, and uh, folks like Lightning Malcolm and, you know, all those folks. So it just, 
like especially regionally speaking, it was just kind of natural for me to gravitate towards that because that's what I grew up around mm-hmm. and literally grew up next to where it came from. Right. You know. Oh, so cool. Thanks. The slide guitar. Mm-hmm. Boy, your fingers must just be like callous. They are. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just <laughs> watching are. you with your fingers do that is like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of work. It is. And it's all finger picking, too. I don't use a pick. You know, uh, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm going back and forth between playing slide and actually, like, you know, fretting, you know, like actually using my fingers for those other notes, you know. So mm. I'm using almost all of my fingers. I'm using one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm using seven out of ten. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really amazing. Thank you. Oh, Dr. Corey's here now. He finished his lunch. <laughs> uh, He's got some wind running through his microphone. Okay. Go like this, Corey. There you go. Nice. So this is Dr. Corey. Um, he is our backcountry medical doctor, and uh, we're having him on the podcast because we, me and Corey, have been talking about this men's health issue and helping men with their health and something I obviously, that's what I do in this platform. And, uh, and then Brett, you told me that you, you are, you work for a nonprofit in Florida. Yeah. I'm, uh, the vice president of a nonprofit for men's mental health called the campfire fund. Mm -hmm. Um, we, who is that? Is that you? Hold on. Take yours down for a second. Yeah, that's Corey. Oh, (laughs) that's Corey. (laughs) Uh, yeah, we, um, me and my friend Ryan started this nonprofit because uh, one of our best friends committed suicide back in November of 2021, and he's not the first, you know. And uh, particularly in that area, you know, there is a, a pretty rampant problem with drugs and alcohol, you know, which only exacerbates the problem. So what started out as just like kind of like a benefit concert was the initial idea after Elijah passed away. Uh, you know, me and Ryan got to talking about it. Ryan's the president and we were like, we should just, we should just try and address this thing, you know, and, and try to, you know, try to attack it at the root essentially and not make this a one-time deal because it's an ongoing problem. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, what we do is we pay for men to get into therapy or counseling that can't afford it. Mm. And so we throw music events, um, you know, or like beard competitions or like we've done cornhole events or, you know, we could come up with all kinds of stuff. And, um, Ryan, Ryan, I don't live in Pensacola anymore, but Ryan does. So I often have to fly down for a lot of these events. But so we raise money that way, raffle off stuff or, you know, do entry fees and um, raise money to get guys into counseling who can't afford it because it it can be expensive. You know? Oh, yeah. Counseling is not cheap. And Mm -hmm. it's I mean, unless insurance is paying for it. But even then, you know, like who they pay for, what type of counseling they pay for can be really limiting right for most people and i think there's a huge stigma with men there is and counseling i know in my own life uh you know it's i think that generationally it may look be looked down on as something that 
it makes you, I don't know, you know, lesser than, weak, you can't deal with your problems, that kind of thing. You know, you should just be able to deal with it yourself. You should just right. be able to man up. You know, all the things that we actually say, don't be a girl, don't be a sissy, which is sort of offensive in a lot of ways. When you're a <laughs> yeah, girl, right. you're like, what does that say about women that we're right. weak? You know, there's a lot of things women do. Men can do for one second. They'd be all crying in the corner. Yeah, so like, no kidding. But there's these connotations with men. And I know you and I, Corey, were having this conversation yesterday. That's why I wanted you to be on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I, so I work in the Mirrors Department, of course. Yep. And I'm mm -hmm. seeing that other, the end stage of this whole process, right, of men just not finding their place anymore and kind of feeling like these ships at sea that just don't have the support. They don't have they don't have the person to turn to to give them the guidance uh, to kind of help them sort through whatever's going on in their life. So tragically, you know, I'm at the other end of this and it's just become so apparent to me over the years in the emergency department that I want to get ahead of that. I want right. to figure out a way to get these guys when they're starting to go down that pathway and say, hey, there is another way here. And, uh, and, and that's what we need to focus on because, you know, we talk about prevention a ton in healthcare, but the bottom line is we're not doing it. And, and even right. a lot of these guys that end up in my emergency department and, and we are able to, uh, you know, keep them from that, uh, the, the horrible end, trying to get them a place to go to counseling is almost non-existent in, right. in Northeast Oregon where I live. And some of these poor guys are end up staying in the emergency department for, I had a guy for 96 hours he was in the emergency department because he had no place else to go. Right. We couldn't get him care. We couldn't get him to a counselor. There just wasn't an option. Right. And, and that's such a helpless feeling for the whole healthcare team because you can just see the nurses, the, the other docs. It's like everybody's just like this learned helplessness is kind of getting in, it's infecting everyone. Yeah. So I want to keep people out of that emergency department, first of all, because it's a horrible place to deal with mental, mental illness, health, you yeah. know? Right. And, and the other thing that I'm concerned about, I, so I get a lot of time to talk to these folks, right? I'll come back shift after shift and they'll be there. And I'm just finding out that a lot of this mental health crisis really is a spiritual health crisis on some level. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. whether or not you consider yourself a religious person, I, I just think that the, the human psyche, we are spiritual beings right. as organisms. And if we don't put something good in that spiritual puzzle piece spot, something bad's going to go in there. And I think that's this end result we're seeing where people are getting into drugs. It's, you know, you pick gambling. Is it, you know, pornography is a big thing now. Mm -hmm. And it's like all of this stuff is just eroding the man's role in culture and the family. And as we know, you know, the direction of the family is the direction of the community, which is the direction right. of the country. Yeah. And that's what I'm thinking we need to start derailing because we're losing control of our basic building blocks of our culture. Right. Right. Well, I mean, in the same vein and, and not to get, you know, political here or anything, but, um, you know, like, for instance, I mean, you look at like, you know, people talk about like the whole gun thing. Right. But when it comes down to it, it really is also a mental health issue mm -hmm. you know same thing right it's mental health is the root of these things spirit and, and spiritually too speaking right i mean it's um i personally think that they go hand in hand Absolutely. you know and um yeah I, I i guess my question is as uh, i mean i mean i'm obviously a woman but like the kind of this cultural divide that we have today with gender divide mm -hmm. i i call it not a cultural divide i call it a gender divide where like women still feel very oppressed and like or they talk about being very oppressed 
men are supposedly told that they are the ones that are the oppressors and I don't think either people I don't I don't 100% believe that as genders in in general that we necessarily believe that I believe that there's traumatic situations and relationships that could be like that right but the right. but yeah. society in general now is saying a man is this violent patriarchal person who inflicts like some sort of submit you know wants people to be submissive to him right and you can do that through gender and you can do that through race it's the same thing right, right? like Corey, the white man is oppressing you know brett over here right it's like but like most men just like women they're just trying to live their lives yeah. figure out who they are yeah, who, exactly who who their friend base is who their community is and and then and then also women you know are being fed this basically lie that you don't need a man you can do everything a man can do and you can work two jobs you can raise the children you can uh build the house and a lot of women are going well no wait i can't actually do that right like i don't want to do that you know and it gets very confusing for each gender as to what their roles are and i i do feel there's this sense of mental mental it's your microphone yep here i'll turn it down it's okay there (laughs) there it's just your winds hitting you perfect but like I just feel like there's so much confusion now. Men don't know what to say. They don't know how to act. If they do anything, like they have to ask for permission for just being a man half the time. And I find it crippling. And I hear these statistics of like most men, like what is it now? Almost 30% of males in their 20s are not having sex. Yeah. Like, that seems like most people go, oh, that's not a big deal. That is a big deal as a hormone doctor. That is when you are at the height of your hormones. That's the height of reproduction. Like, if you're looking at this just as a purely, like, physiological function, this is, like, height of reproduction. Right. And so then you have also two dichotomies. You have men that are so scared, don't even know how to talk to women, not having a relationship, then because of this, they're mentally having issues, right? They can't, right. they don't know how to form a, a normal relationship. Then you have these, this other group of men who is probably the small proportion of men that are, you know, philanders, getting women pregnant, not taking responsibility for their kids, like right. getting into gangs, doing all kinds of stupid stuff. And like, yeah, you're always going to have that. But this 30% of guys over here is like, they're not even going to, they're not even going to try because the, it seems like the mountain now is so insurmountable to get a woman to like you, accept you, not be afraid of you, not think that she doesn't need you. Like, what's the point? And you've got pornography, you've got video games, you've got media. You don't even have to leave your house. Right. You can talk to people through social media and not really have to have any connection but we know that's making people depressed too right right i don't know i don't i feel like it's a distraction issue like i talked about yesterday in my talk what is the biggest health crisis of the future it is distraction disorder where now people don't even know what a real relationship is and how to create community because they're so distracted by all the things that you could do or 
in your hand, this thing in your hand. And right. we all have it. We're all addicted to it. We all need it. We can't yeah. function without it. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, you almost can't even really barely be a person without yeah. it anymore. But, but, and that's the thing though, is that think about, you know, think about the, the dude who's, uh, I don't know, my age, 31, right? Mm. And let's say that he went through some traumatic experience, mm-hmm. right? And instead of dealing with that, he's distracted with media, distracted with, you know, or social media in particular, not just media, but, you know, social media, distracted by, you know, whatever it is out there, drugs, alcohol, gambling, you know. Um, so the idea to me is like, you know, how do you change the stigma of, you know, because that's what's considered being strong and dealing with it, you know, from like the man's stigma, you know, of having to be like the strong guy. I think you should be strong, right? Yeah, you should be strong. You should know how to deal with stuff, but that's exactly it. You should know how to deal with stuff, and that's not how you Mm. deal with the things that are going on in your mind. And I mean, and don't you agree this is how trauma perpetuates itself through generations, is that you have somebody who was traumatized, who never dealt with it, who never got skills and tools to one, face it and and process it, and then not take it on to their children and their and then they mm-hmm. they just repurpose it for the new group. And this is, I mean, you see this so commonly. You see it in all classes. I mean, I think the rich people make it look like you know they can hide things more. Right. But like you see it in a lot of poor communities. You see it in a lot of underserved communities. You see this generational trauma that's like passed down. And I will just take an example because I am not Native American, but I grew up. My stepdad was Native American. So as a teenager, I grew up in Native culture, and Native culture is one of the most ignored. Uh, destroyed cultures in the United States. Right. They're put on reservations. They're out in the middle of nowhere. You don't even know you're on a reservation. Half the time you drive through there, you don't know the people. It's all romanticized. You know, everything about the old Native American ways is romanticized. But nobody actually wants to deal with right now the devastation that has gone on in the Native American populations. Right. And I know that a lot of tribes are trying to, but there's also massive corruption in these in these tribal units sometimes, right? But when you look at this generational trauma, you have people that were basically I mean, we don't remember it, and the people that are alive today that live natives, they don't remember it. But they maybe have a great grandparent. My my stepdad's grandmother was hundred and three when she died. Right. I knew her. I knew her when she died. She remembers living in teepees. Okay. So she was like the last generation of this, like really living on the plains like they used to live. And, but, but the, the trauma of all that loss of loss of culture, loss of, um, freedom, a loss of health because of the addiction that went rampant through these communities, Mm -hmm. um, the abuse, you know, like I think it was, you know, I don't know now, but back, you know, Sioux Falls and the Sioux Reservation, like the lifespan of a man was like 48 years old. 
And that is the lowest lifespan of anybody in the United States. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what is going on here? Well, what it is, it's like that perpetual generational trauma mm-hmm. and, and just anger that's just passed down because they lost something. Right. And I feel like, and I, I'm talking as a white girl here, but I like to remind people that don't always look at people and think you know them. Yeah, exactly. Because if you want to judge people based on their skin color, like nobody would even know that I grew up that way. Right. If they saw me, why, they just say, you're a privileged white girl. And I will admit, I've had a lot of privilege that a right. lot of my family members didn't have. Right. Because I'm white. Totally understand it. But like, I just, when I see people and I hear their stories and I go, I just have a lot of compassion sometimes for these groups of people, but but that trauma can just be just like it's like a fire that just catches and it just goes through every generation because the stories are told and then the white man did this and these did this and I kind of grew up in that culture. Yeah. And I I saw it and I saw the devastation that went on in the mental realm, the physical realm, the emotional, the spiritual realm like so difficult you know and you could take anybody of any culture and if they've had these traumas throughout their life I mean I trace my history all the way back to Scotland as one of my family members and he was a 16 year old Scottish kid who was fighting for the Jacobites he got captured by the British and back then they put their prisoners on boats to the Carolinas. Yeah. And he right. got put on a boat at 16 as a slave, as a prisoner or right. whatever, basically slaves, indentured yeah. servants yeah. to the British, put on a ship and sent to the Carolinas. And he ended up becoming, he married a Cherokee woman. He spoke Cherokee. He worked for the governor because he could translate as he got older. But could you imagine being 16 and being put on a ship and crossed across the ocean? Now he was Scottish, he wasn't African, right. but like this happened to lots of cultures and you can imagine the trauma of that. And then right. how that got passed down. Then he married a Cherokee woman who then her whole tribe had to cross the Trail of Tears. Right. So I don't remember any of that, but yeah. is that in my DNA? There's research now showing these things pass down in your DNA. Right, right. So if you can't consciously get the tools that you need, even if it's not your thing, you don't know why you're acting like this. Why, why do you keep perpetuating this? Right. Sometimes there's things that are deeper than just your immediate right now. Exactly. Right? Your parents' trauma, your grandparents' trauma. Like, what were you, what were you visually and emotionally experiencing when you were one year old? Right. That you had no control over. Right. And we don't want to talk about that because you should just, you should get on with your life and you shouldn't perpetuate your trauma. But a lot of people don't have the skills to do that. They don't know what that means. They're just like, oh yeah, right. Okay, whatever. That's a bunch of. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you should get over it, you know, but you have to know how to get over it and you need, you know, the tools and the resources available to get over it, you know, I mean, and, and that is so specific to the individual mm-hmm. you know i mean there's not i don't think there's just some mass thing because everybody's different right now you can uh you know you can bring people together you know and you can bring different individuals together right i mean i would i, I don't think i would be too far-fetched to say that all of us being here right now has been you know, mentally great for everybody mm-hmm. here at the Western Hunting Summit, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, Corey, you could probably speak to that because you've been here for three years now. 
Yeah, I mean, so I think it's the community. I mean, mm-hmm. we were not as as much of rugged individualists as some of us solo hunters want to think we are, right? <laughs> yeah. The bottom line is we still crave that community. We're a herd mm-hmm. animal. And, and thinking, tying back to what you were talking about, Hillary, with the Native Americans. You know, I was reading about the Nez Perce because in, where I'm from in Joseph, Oregon, that was their homeland. Yeah. And, you know, what? they were one of the most successful tribes in the country. They were wealthy. They were well-respected. They were incredible uh, bow makers. Um, they they had the most uh, well-sought-after herd of horses that they genetically, you know, mm-hmm. mo- you know bred. Yeah, they were known yeah. for their horses. So, but, but what made them successful was this b- strong community. In fact, what led to their downfall was the fact that when Chief Joseph ended up out in eastern Montana, and I think he was facing General Miles at the time, they were actually winning that battle. The Nez Perce were winning, and right. and the 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 cavalry was surprised that they could that they were that accurate with the rifles they had. I mean, they were really pre- presenting a pretty good threat to the U.S. Army. Right. And finally, when Chief Joseph went to the general and said, "Listen, I'm gonna," he gave him his rifle and he said, "I lay down my arms forever. I'll fight no more." Those were, that was his famous speech. And the reason he did that is because they would not leave their elderly. They would not leave their women and their babies. Mm-hmm. And the elderly were, were, it was getting close to winter, it was November, and they were having a lot of hypothermia. They were actually, the elderly were not able to, to survive in that environment. Mm-hmm. And that's why Chief Joseph stopped, because of his community. He right. wanted to preserve the community. Well, what happened after that is, you know, the kids got sent to boarding schools, the tribe got broken up, some on boxcars to Kansas, some to Washington. I mean, so they dist- so the community was destroyed. So what's happening to us today? Our community is being fragmented. Right. Right? And what's it being fragmented by? These strange ideologies that really we're not wired to deal with. You know, we can't even make sense out of some of these ideologies. You know, I've got two daughters. One's 20, one's 24. So they're looking for guys, right? Mm-hmm. And the most common thing I see, hear from my daughters is, I can't find a good man. Okay, well, why can't they find a good man? Because it's not like they're not there. Right. But are they the 30%? I mean, what if the good men are the ones that are hiding because they've been taught by our society that, and what am I, you know, I asked my daughter, I was like, okay, I know what the answer is going to be, but define a good man then. Mm-hmm. And like my oldest daughter, she's Isabel, she's like 24. She's like, I want somebody stronger than me, you know, <laughs> yeah. and some, you know, because she's real strong willed and, and that kind of right. thing. And, and her godfather even says all the time, he's, whenever we meet a new boyfriend, they're like, he's like, that's not going to work. She's going to. You know, she's, she could take him in a second, right? So, again, what does a man need to be in society? I mean, a family leader. I mean, a family leader, you know, exactly. We need that family to be reinvigorated and reinfused to start building our culture again and take those lessons from the Nez person and, and, you know, get that successful community going again. Right. That's where we get the support when things go bad. Like right now, if you're a young guy and things go badly for you, you end up in my emergency department, and that's not where you want to yeah. go. You need to end up with your elders, with your family, mm-hmm. to say, how did you guys deal with the same things? Because we're not really going through any different stress. I mean, they're different stresses, but right. stress is part of life. Right. And, you know, I mean, think back to the Bible. I mean, who in the Bible had a, a life that just kind of unfolded and just, like, worked out, right? I mean, it was a constant <laughs> struggle. I mean, so... This default position that life should be easy is kind of a, a myth, right? It, well, it's I not think easy. it's because people don't have enough struggle, maybe. Yeah. I, I think there's, you know, we've talked about this before, the positive stress and the negative stress. Like, there's positive stress that you need to grow. And we were talking about puberty mm-hmm. yesterday and about teenagers and, like, 
that is like a death of the child who was that sweet, innocent, fairy tales, rainbows, fairies, everything's wonderful, I love you mommy and daddy, and then you suddenly get these hormones and you start looking at your parents like, oh, you're like a human being, you have flaws, you're not perfect, you start looking at yourself critically now, you're out of the illusionary imaginary stage, you are now in the critical stage. And this is a natural thing that happens to all of us so that we can, one, deal with our issues. We just deal with the wind, guys. We can't get away from it. Everybody's like, oh. We're all holding our microphones. We can't get away from the wind. We're in the Montana prairie, folks. You're getting wind. What can you do? But, like, I mean, we all go through that, that period of stress. Right. And we all sometimes, some of us don't make it out. Right. And some of us, most of us make it out and when like, it's funny, you know, have you ever been to your high school reunion and you go back and you know, your 10 or 20 year reunion, it's funny, your 10 year reunion, everybody's still trying to show each other up. The 20 year reunion, nobody cares. The 30 year reunion you go to and you're like, yeah, I don't need to come back to one of these again. (laughs) Because, you know, it's, you go through a progression, but puberty does that. It's a positive stress that's stressing you to grow. Right. Just like you're physiologically mm-hmm. and anatomically growing, you are emotionally growing. That's required. But now we tell teenagers, <laughs> oh, if it's too stressful, you don't have to do this. And, you know, you can change this if you want. There's so many, like, weird choices kids have nowadays because we're trying to spare them of pain. Right. And, like, come right. on. No generation has been without pain. My daughter just graduated from eighth grade. The speaker, the history teacher was their speaker. And he said, I want to congratulate you all because historically, most Americans never made it past eighth grade. Man. Because that's when, like, if you lived on a farm, if you, you know, were a sharecropper or whatever, if you were lucky enough to go to school, you, after eighth grade, you had to go work. Right. And people were having kids at 16, 17 years old. They were maturing really young. And now it's like we expect our eighth graders to just be immature, do it, right. like not have any stress in their life. Right. They're and you coddled. see it with our kids. They're complaining. I don't want to do that. And it's like, get out of bed. You're going to do this. Like, I'm right. sorry, but this is being a teenager, you know. Um, but it's true is that I think it's almost too easy now well I think there's there's some truth to that I think one of the problems is is you create this bubble around your kids and Mm -hmm. you you protect them I mean you you have a bit of a reach with that I mean you can you can pull that off for a while but there's going to come a point where you can't protect them and now if they haven't practiced with these little stressors as they mature the next thing on their own is gonna be catastrophic and I think that's the thing, too, is like, you know, as you're as you're developing into, you know, in this case, we're talking about men, the man you're going to be, you know, how do we learn? You know, I gave a lecture the other day, but then we quickly went outside the tent and we got our hands on some stuff. Right. Oh, right. We're talking about wounds, but then we actually cleaned some wounds on some chickens, you know, because we learn by hearing things then doing things based on modeling. Right. So if you don't have that family structure to model after you're like, I don't know how I should react to this problem. So I think we need to create these communities that, again, get back to teaching men as leaders of their family that it is important for you to model the right kind of behavior. You know, so 
you know, what does a young woman look for in their future mate? Just pull it in mate? There, just like that. There you go. You know, they look for something they're familiar with, right? Right. So hopefully they've right. had a model or they've had some relationship in their life they can look to. And now the percent, I, do you remember the percent of babies today who are born to single parents? It's staggering. I heard it the other day and I can't remember. Yeah. It was like so amazing. I kind of just was like overwhelming to even right. think about. So, and, and not that people aren't trying to do the best they can with that situation, but raising a human child is complicated it is. and it's labor intensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being a mother, I think, is the most important job on the face of the planet. I mean, think of any other job that's going to have the legacy and the ripple effect for generations ahead. It's, it's the behavior and the, the characteristics of that initial, that mother that raised that child. Right. Well, I told you yesterday that, you know, you get your mitochondria from your mother's side. Mm -hmm. All of human history on the planet comes from the woman. Right. It was traced all the way back to sub-Saharan Africa and the first people. That was traced through the maternal line of mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So, so we are all part of the mother gene like that is such a vital piece mm -hmm. of just even your dna and like being a mother i mean just knowing like myself i was my mom was integral in my life but she had to work she you know unfortunately wasn't able to be a stay-at-home mom and she works so i learned my work ethic from my mother and my mother's 70 and she still works yeah five days a week and you know i i think that women and I tell my daughter this all the time is that because I think of this cultural thing that's happened with men in maybe the last 50 years, I don't know when this started, but like post-war era of like maybe 50s, 60s, 70s, where like you don't have to take care of your kids or something. I don't think that was common before that. Yeah. And I think in all cultures, it was not common. It was common to be the head of your household and take care of your family. Right. And then it, it, this, this like social kind of demise happened where men no longer have to be responsible for that. But at the same time, like my mom kind of raised me like the truth is, and I tell Paley this, the truth is you are the one who will forever be bound by a decision that you make mm -hmm. because it's right. your body. Yeah. You are the one, and instinctually, hormonally, everything, like you are going to be bound to that child way more than a man would be if he's yep. not emotionally yep. ready. And men are just built differently, like they have different hormonal instincts. And so it's like women have to be smart, they have to yes. pick the right person yep. because their life depends on it, their child's life right. depends on it. And unfortunately, a lot of women, based on their, their view of like, who men are supposed to be or they they maybe saw their mother not pick the right men they pick the wrong men and then they end right. up with men who are not responsible or who are depressed or who have addiction who are abusive who have trauma themselves and it's unfortunate but women you are so you are responsible so you have to make responsible choices and then teaching men that they are as responsible for that child as the woman is right. and i think we did give men this like Oh, we don't need you. Just go live your life. Yeah. And well, men are like, all right. You know, yeah. young men, young, immature men who don't under emotionally understand it. And maybe who didn't have community or they see their community and that's what the guys do. I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. there's two sides. I mean, you know, it's here, hard here, to, here's, here's, this I'll, is such a social issue. <laughs> like, is, how do you it solve is. it? Well, I'll bring up the controversial thing called the feminist movement, right? 
Okay. Now, that means different things to different people. But what did what did that do? It basically a lot of women said, "Yeah, I, I can be a professional. I can be a mother, and I don't really need you guys." Well, then that led to having to support that family on your own with no support. And I think one of the most vital roles of men is keeping moms, their wives, sane. I mean, I think of like a baby, like a newborn. Like I really didn't like the newborn period, right? It was like these kids, they can't go hunting with me. This isn't fun. (laughs) This is is just like a, this is all maintenance, right? So what's the role of a dad in that and they don't life. really want you at no, that time. They, don't. they want mom. But what like, does mom need? Mom needs the other stuff taken care of so she can focus on that all important job right. of making that baby survive. Right. And and I think that's something that we're missing. And I think, uh, you know, if men learn that, if that was an, an intentional thing or an unintended side effect of, and I, I'm not saying women shouldn't have careers. I mean, my daughters uh, have outstanding careers. And I'm very proud of them. Um, but I still think that the most important career is raising a child that's going to affect generations after you're dead. Right. So after you have a child and you were like me, I had a career, I had an education, a very expensive education, a doctorate. That's a big deal, right? First person in my family, Uh, a job, good paying job, a home, money. I had kids and I was like, oh my God, what was I thinking? I can't do all this. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go to work. Right. I don't want to go to work. Yeah. And I remember before I had kids, I was like, oh, man, I'm always going to work. Like, I'm never going to be home with my kids. And now I'm like, my dream is to just be a stay-at-home mom. And that's okay. <laughs> and yeah. No, and like now that I have children and I see how important it is, to me it's totally okay. But before I had children and what society was telling me was that it's not okay to want to stay home with your children. Right. Because you're not enough if you do that. You're not enough. And now I'm like, are you kidding me? Well, that's just crap. Right. Like, it's it so is. crappy. It really and it's the same story that society's telling men. It's so not true. Like, you you have to not buy into that. You have to be, you have to have community around you, like the men to support you, to say, this is not true. This is false. Right. This is, this, this will benefit you. And, you know, there's light and dark to everything. Sure. My mom remembers. My mom was born in the early 50s, and she remembers she grew up in not so good a household. And she remembers when you could beat your wife and your kids, mm-hmm. the cops did nothing. Yeah. They said it's a domestic dispute. We don't get in it. Right. So, you know, my mom was part of that feminist movement. The original feminist movement was to say, we as women need to have more protection right from mm-hmm. perpetuation on us of violence mm-hmm. right. that's the original to, to give us the protection we need the law enforcement the courts to help us so our husband can't just beat us and perpetuate trauma right and we should be able to work and have more jobs than a secretary and a nurse and a and a bank teller right like we should be able to have the freedom to be a doctor and do all these things but you know how things get. They morph and they become they do. They, they become extreme. They and now become very detached. We don't even need men now. It's like the light and the dark, there's like this flipped coin. Yeah. But you know, this is a symbiotic relationship. I I mean like I'm thinking I'm out here right now. Why am I able to be out here right now? Because I have a great wife who said, Yep, I'm gonna take care of our animals because we couldn't find somebody to do it. Right. But I'm calling my I called my wife last night three or four times because I was working on this other business thing I'm doing and I couldn't figure out a simple Excel spreadsheet to make my modifications. I'm like, I, my <laughs> wife. So what I'm saying that's a stupid example, but my wife is the 
I mean, she's the business manager of our of our life as far as you know finances and the logistics of living, which lets me do all these fun things I teach and do things like that right. that I think are my contribution. So if my wife, like we separated, we split ways in Minneapolis. She had to fly back, and I had to drive out here. And I'm thinking, man, don't crash, don't get in an accident, because I won't even know where to like look up our passwords for bank accounts, right? <laughs> so that's how important <laughs> yeah. my wife is for me. I've I had mean, that conversation I mean, with Ryan. I I need I her said, yeah. to let me. I mean, it, without her, I can't do what I want to do. Right. And I'm, I'm in the same boat. I really am. You know, but but it's just like you said, it's a symbiotic relationship. What is a family but a small community, right? So you have to lean on each other, you know, and you have to, I mean, respect each other and, and, and help each other through things. You know what I mean? Whether it's, you know, husband and wife helping each other or father, son, father, daughter, mother, daughter, mother, son, whatever. Right. I mean, like it's, I think that, I think that wanting to be the best person that you can be honestly is just kind of like the best start to the problem right yeah. i mean it's uh but i mean it's like but how many people actually just sit and think about man i want to be the best person i can be not many because we're so distracted we're so distracted right? we don't have we don't we think we don't have time but i and I'll make that excuse. Like, I, I like books. I'm a book addict. I buy lots of books, and half the time I don't even read them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, I don't have time to read them. And then I'm like, but what am I doing with my extra time? Right. I am a mom, so that kind of throws a lot of stuff out the window. And like Corey said, like, you end up spending most of your time with your kids. That's what you do. But right. I I totally agree. What, what about this whole concept of, like... Um, also that as Americans in general because of just the way the country is and we're so big is like a lot of people just don't live around their families anymore and there there is actually this thing that happens where like you know the teenager kind of grows up and moves away from you then they become 18 they go to college someplace else far away and then they migrate and then eventually you get older and you realize god I really need my mom I need my dad I need to be closer I want to have kids right. but you've already set up a life in a totally different state and a whole and you really don't we don't value the family unit like we used to where where actual blood family lives close to each other we're taught to kind of go out cowboy and just get away from everybody go go find your own plot of land and do your own thing and that's kind of like that pioneer spirit of americans but i think in a way that's been a detriment to us because now you have one family unit with children not one woman can't take care of all those children she needs a mother she needs sisters she needs like at least some girlfriends around like whatever right. you know i think that's the struggle and that's where women get really exhausted yeah they don't have a mother around a grandmother around their sisters are living in totally different states whatever and i think it's the same for men right you guys don't have a camaraderie of men and so you feel worn out you feel exhausted you come home you have a drink you watch tv you mm-hmm. zone out you don't have like maybe as healthy as maybe you would have if you had your brothers around, family around, you had community. Like I always love when I go to like some place and there's a bunch of old men and you they meet there every morning for breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they talk about every morning, but like they're just talking. Right. And they're there every day. And that's their community. And it's crazy because when you see one of those guys die, like they all support each other. Right. And then they kind of start dying off, you know, but it's like 
do men really have that anymore? Like, I don't know. That seems like such kind of an, like, my grandpa had that. Right. He had his golf right. gr club, you know, it was like every day he went golfing. Yeah. Every day. And I just think like, do men have that place anymore where they can go be together? Right. And talk about these things or build a shed or whatever, yeah. you know? I mean, I think some do and, and some don't, you yeah. know, really. I mean, like, like I said earlier, it's all kind of individualistic. Like I consider myself very fortunate to, to have that community of people that I can fall back on yeah. if I ever needed to. Right. And I mean, it's one of the reasons I started the nonprofit because I realized just how fortunate I was or am still currently. Right. I realize how fortunate I am to have that when there are so many other people that don't, or they feel like they don't, which is another big difference. Right. Like my friend Elijah, you know, that took his own life. I mean, we were all there for him. And mm -hmm. I want to I wanna think that he knew that, right? Mm -hmm. But he might not have thought that to the extent of what it actually mattered, you know? And so I, I think, I think for, for men and women, really, like, it's, a, it's about letting them know that, like, hey, like, somebody can be there for you. You, you have to let them. Right. I mean, like you can't force anybody to do anything, you know, emotionally, especially. But um, I think that it's just about reaching people and letting folks know that, like, hey, like, it's OK that you feel this way. And there's a way that we can work through this. Depends on how much work you want to do, you know, and that it'll be OK. And that there's people here for you. And so I think for me, the question is, how do you. How do you break that stigma of, like, well, I'm not talking about nothing. I'll be fine, right? Mm. Like, oh, I have to be, I have to be strong because, you know, for whatever reason, right? I mean, and in some some instances, I think are appropriate. I don't have children, right? But I know that there were times where my parents did not show me emotionally what was going on, mm -hmm. right? Because they felt like it would be for the best for me and whether it was or was not I I'll never know because I don't really know what happened in those situations for them to be going through whatever it was they were going through right but now that I'm older I understand like well you know as a hormonal teenager like if I knew what they were going through like I might have not been okay right so there, there's yeah. also a balance too of like how emotionally available you make yourself for your community, whether it's your family or, right? So it's a very complex thing. It really is. What is the name of the foundation that you guys have? Uh, the Campfire Fund of Florida Okay, is what it's called. That's cool. our legal name because somebody uh, bought our LLC name out from underneath us like two days after our first event. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, no. there's some uh, some dirt bags out there, as we all know, but... Uh, but yeah, so you can look it up as the Campfire Fund of Florida or the Campfire Fund for Men's Mental Health, either one. Or on Instagram, it's just the Campfire Fund. And how many, uh, do you know how many people you've helped? What What is? The last I heard, our total number of people in therapy was, I think, about 25 or 30 since we've started you know some have left because the therapists felt like they got what they needed out of it mm -hmm. you know uh some have been there since the beginning are still there 
you know, and then some have recently joined or joined it any given time after we started, mm. right? So I think we started last April, so we're 14 months old as an organization now, and uh, I think we've gotten 25 or 26 people in the therapy. So far we've That's raised great. like 30 or 40 grand, something like that. Oh, awesome. That's impressive. So, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's important. We all need to support each other, I guess. Is the And as you get older, you start to realize that a lot of the things that you you work so hard to succeed in your life and you realize all the people you actually didn't communicate with, mm-hmm. well, you didn't talk to, you blew off, you didn't listen to them, you were busy having your life and raising your kids and going to school and and also, I just like to say that people change, too. You know, you may have a group of friends when you were younger that they're not really the people you click with anymore. Right. And it can be hard. It gets harder as you get older to find your community. Right. I don't know. Maybe nowadays it's not based on these statistics. But <laughs> I know that as I've gotten older and I did have children and I got focused on that family unit, I let a lot of relationships go. Some were needed. They needed to be let go. They weren't healthy for me. And some I wish that I would have nurtured more. And so kind of as I get older, I think my goal is to rekindle some of those and also to say, like, I'm sorry, I should have listened more. I wasn't there for you. Like, I think that's the other thing about healing in general is you also have to take into account your actions and what you need to do for people to maybe, you know, you're not perfect. Right. And you weren't perfect in relationships and you made bad choices, you know, or I don't know, you p- treated people unfairly, you know, right. and, and sometimes like you needed to do that because these people were not healthy for you. Right. Yeah. But I see as I get older, I, I think more and more about that. And like Corey said, like if something happened to me and it's like you never tell these people how you feel, you never apologize for maybe things you right. did. You never that trauma perpetuates itself. It does. And that's. It does why I think it's important to sit around and think, how can I be the best person? Right. Because it's not easy. It's not. The default is life sucks and it's hard and I'm just going to be an asshole. Get back in my silo and I'll wall off the world. Yeah. That's the default. Yeah. Yeah. I think that every, every, for anybody that wants to, help themselves or or get help or you know or just try to be a better person i mean it cannot be done without that self-awareness right absolutely yeah i think a lot of people's trauma is they're not willing to accept their fault mm-hmm. but you know it's interesting even and a if lot you can do that you can heal a lot yeah yeah you know when you look at uh you know like a narcissist yeah a person who is literally living their life for themselves mm-hmm that is, that fires the same neurons in your brain as misery does. No kidding. Yeah. So the fastest way to like a miserable life is to, to only see the world through, <laughs> through your own perspective. Yeah. And so the opposite of that is also true. And psychotherapists will tell you that if, if they can get their clients to start seeing the world through someone else's point of view, mm-hmm. that is their quickest way to recover that person from, say, a depression. It's much oh. more effective than any other technique is to start living your life for someone and through some, you know, from another perspective. Right, right. And if you think of a suicidal patient, kind of back to bring this back to where we started, suicide is really one of the most narcissistic things you can do because yeah. you're not considering 
the damage that's going to happen after people find out that you're dead. Right, exactly. And, and that ripple effect is is massive throughout your, whether or not you think you have a social network, Yeah. the people that are going to be affected by that decision that there's no way they can deal with anymore is massive. Yeah. And, and you're leaving a lot of tragedy in your wake when you do that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, uh, we were, we're working on a church project and, uh, Talk about guys talking and opening up. Guys have to be doing something. So we were doing some she-rock. <laughs> yeah. So we were doing some she-rock one night. It was like 8.30 at night. Most of the guys had, had to get home. And the pastor, myself, and we have a young pastor. He's real, like, go-getter. He's probably, mm-hmm. probably thir- mid-30s, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> just, you know, he's always there with everything. So we're, we're covered with sheetrock dust. And one of, our, one of our, the guys that was helping comes up. He's looking around to make sure everybody's gone. He's like, hey, you know, I just had a, a former co-worker. I just found out she killed herself. And that led to this discussion. Um, he's like, well, he, so he asked the pastor, he's like, Pastor Dave, what, what would have Jesus done with that? And he's like, well, let's think about that. Jesus knew where his life was going to end on that cross, right? Mm-hmm. He could have avoided the whole thing, right? He's God. But he didn't. And the point was is that we have a life to live, and we've got to fulfill whatever that point was right you know we it, it take getting out of it is the easy way it's life's not supposed to be easy and even though we may be suffering that suffering may be happening to show somebody else who sees us suffering some lesson we can't even comprehend right so i think this whole topic is such a intertwined again community thing it nothing is. our lives are not in vacuums Everything right. we're going through, everything we're doing, every interaction we're having is affecting somebody that we may not even know is listening or watching. And I think that's pretty profound, and I don't know if many people realize that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah, I I think that it can, you know, helplessness and feeling like there's no other alternative, you know, that's a that's a really, really, really horrible place to be. Because at that point, you know, obviously you don't care about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You haven't, you're not, you're not, you can't reflect on that. And, um, and everybody goes there, right? I mean, there's nobody alive who's not had a day so bad that you're like, this would be so easy to be done with. Right. But what keeps you in the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, for some of us, it's our faith. Some of us, it's like, we don't want our family to have to deal with that. Some of us, it's, I want to see what, I want to see what, uh, what guy my daughter finds, you know, it's stuff like that. It's yeah. like, what keeps you in the game? Exactly. Again, it's the community. It's, can you, can you see the world through someone else's life? Yeah. So yeah, we yeah. need to build community. I think that's the answer. I mean, we need to connect I people. We need to make safe. those connections, you know, and, and they gotta be, they just gotta be there. Yeah. Yeah. The I silo's agree. not working. Yeah. And, and fragmenting the family is not working because, I mean, think about, I mean, we're out here talking about hunting. You separate that one cow elk out of the herd, they're easy to take down, right? Right. So if we're a herd animal, which we are, you knock one of us out to the side, we're easy to take down. Yeah. And But if you get back in the group, it's hard to take you down. Right. We need each other. We really do. Yeah. And I think for men, it's you guys learning how to ask for help. Yeah. Right? Like your friend. Right. Like he probably... Like you said, he would have had the support of you guys. He, he, you know, you felt like you, you guys were giving him what he maybe needed. 
Right. But he was maybe not asking for what he needed from right. you because he had stipulations of what that meant and how weak that would look and these kinds of things. I would love for the whole like the whole vocabulary around one mental health and emotion to just be totally changed. Right. I Why? Agree. I mean, emotions are a natural neurological function of being human, whether you're a man or a woman. Right. And like if you can't be able to process emotion and part of that is being able to process both positive and negative emotion and get the support for that it, you know stuffing it as you know it doesn't help it doesn't, it doesn't make things better you have to be able to you know whether that is talking to your spouse and that's what I see so much because I deal with like middle-aged women and men people just marriages don't even talk to each other mm-hmm. yeah. spouses don't even talk to each other I know more about a marriage then like I know more about a guy than his wife knows about him right like emotionally he's telling me things and I'm like well have you talked to your wife about this and he's like well no she won't she she's not gonna like listen to me about this and I'm thinking to myself okay that's the first problem yeah you're yeah. you're you're married to a woman who won't listen to you about this this is a problem right I can't fix that with hormones yeah. <laughs> That's a bigger issue. Yeah. How about you bring your wife in here? Mm-hmm. Right. And Again, we have a, a discussion. Community. It's a community Absolutely. issue. And men are like, well, I can't do that. She won't do that. Or it's always the woman. Oh, my husband would never do that. He would never come in here and admit his fault. Are you kidding me? He would never do that. And I'm like, well, that's a huge hurdle that uh, I, mm, you kind of got to yeah. deal with that. And right. I'm shocked at how these really close, quote unquote, close relationships are so the communication is so poor right to the point of where they don't even know each other yeah i mean they know each other's faults but they don't know each other emotionally right so i think it starts there yeah and picking the right partner having good communication with your very intimate close ones and then from there you can build a family and a community based on good communication even for when things are bad right that's the important part can you fall back on these very personal people to you when things are bad because if it's only when it's good that's a problem right that's a problem and especially if you get sick like let's say god forbid something you get cancer right you and your wife have a cruddy relationship she can't deal with negative emotion she can't deal with you being sick she can't deal with you being weak she's that's gonna cause that causes massive problems that's one of the massive problems in cancer yeah. Is these couples can't deal with what actually happens to the person that gets cancer. Right. Because they're so used to this, like, persona of them. Like, you got to be able to go through all yeah, of that. Yeah, like the idea of their marriage, not the actual marriage itself. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, anyways, you guys got to go shoot a 3D course. Yeah. So yeah, I'm we're going to go, go do stuff together as Let's guys. Let's go do right. it. Yeah. And it's perfect. <laughs> I really appreciate you. So, Everybody go listen to Brett Benson's music. You can Thank download you. it on iTunes. You can, um, we'll, I'll play some here. You can give me some songs. We'll okay. put one on here. Sweet. And um, it's it's a really good music. Ryan loved it. That's why he had you here. <laughs> Ryan loves that kind of, he's like an introverted, quiet dude who listens to all this kind yeah, of stuff. You yeah. never know, right? <laughs> but he's a mountain man. And right. secretly, he wishes he could play slide guitar, I'm pretty sure. Hey, I'd be more than happy to teach him. So. <laughs> okay. Thank you so all right, much. All right, guys, have fun. All right. See you later. Bye.